Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Marianne Krasny, author of In This Together, Connecting with Your Community to Combat the Climate Crisis, now available as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Marianne Krasny is professor and director of the Civic Ecology Lab in the Department of Natural Resources and the Environment at Cornell University. She is the author, co-author, editor, or co-editor of several books, including Civic Ecology, Communicating Climate Change, and Grassroots to Global. You can follow her on Twitter at Krasny Marianne. We spoke to Marianne about the most impactful things you can do to reduce emissions and fight climate change, how you can scale up your positive impact by inviting friends and family to take action alongside you, and how becoming more climate-friendly can actually add meaning and happiness to your life. Hello, Marianne. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jonathan. I'm really excited to be able to talk with you. Well, I'm really excited as well. Your book really speaks to me. It's about climate change, what we can do about it. And I know that I'm not alone in feeling uh, despair and kind of helpless when I see the headlines. You're coming out with this new book, In This Together, Connecting with Your Community to Combat the Climate Crisis. Tell us how this book came to be. Okay. Well, the truth is that I walk to work every morning. It takes me about an hour and I walk in the dark because I get up early and I love to be out in the dark. And what that means is that I think a lot because I'm by myself in the dark. And a lot of times there's a lot of litter on my way to work and I feel compelled to pick up the litter but it just seems like so useless. And I always hope, oh, maybe someday people stop littering, but they don't. And then there's always more litter. And it seems like ridiculous to pick up litter. But you know, as I'm sort of thinking about it and thinking about it, I'm also thinking about, well, it also seems like anything we can do to address climate is also sort of so small, given the scale of the problem. Of course, an even bigger problem than littering. So just one day I thought about the idea of, well, maybe, we could scale up our actions. So it's not just me picking up litter or doing something to address the climate crisis, but I'm also somehow influencing other people to do that. And that way we could have more impact. And I think my initial thoughts was a few years back, I don't remember all the details, was that you know so I, I, I could be, or you could be an influencer, right? Like we see all these people on social media and they say, do something. And a lot of people do something, do that thing. Well, um, we'll talk about that a little bit more later because that's actually not how the idea is developed. So the idea of individual action versus collective action, we'll get to that in a second, but there have been some climate activists that say, you know, it's, it's the, the problem's too big that, that, collect, that uh, individual action is just a tiny drop in, in a much larger picture and, and it's almost pointless. So... Mm-hmm. Tell us the, this this idea that some environmentalists are saying, like we we can that industry can co-op that, like they did recycling. Like, don't worry about what we're doing. It's it's up to you as an individual to to solve this. And so then the onus is on the individual versus the actual corporations that are causing the problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. But so the idea that. Um, you know, and I don't know that industries are doing, they are still doing that. They're sort of saying, well, we won't build electric cars because there's no demand for electric cars. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. consumers want to drive their gas cars. And so unless they change, we won't change. 
But on the other hand, if you think about this, like how do we change government, you know, laws, regulations, rules? It's really individual action that just becomes scaled up to a lot of people getting involved. So whether we're thinking about, and I don't really want to focus on recycling anymore because sure, it's not sure. that effective in action, but let's look at some of the more effective ways that I as an individual in my everyday life could draw down the greenhouse or reduce the greenhouse gas emissions that I'm responsible for. Um, they would be things like eating less meat, or especially beef and uh, sheep. Uh, so eating a plant-rich diet, reducing food waste. So I can do that as an individual. I can involve my family, you know, my friends, my, those people around me in doing those things with me. I can invite them over for dinner. But let's just say I'm trying to change a policy. Well, what's the most effective way? I can, as an individual, write a letter to Congress or to maybe a business. But I can also do that as part of a group. And I think the most effective way to do that is through volunteering. So right now I'm volunteering for several organizations and we can talk about that if you're interested, but I'll just mention one of them is Climate Action Now. And mm -hmm. it's essentially an app and it, it's uh, geolocated. So if I put in my zip code, I can read, there's a lot of options, like they're sort of like cards you, you kind of, you know, flip through. And so it's say like, write a letter to your congressman about uh, supporting food donation programs in the farm bill. If I click on that, there's a letter. I can edit it, but I probably won't. And then I just press send and it automatically goes to my congressperson, my senator or my house representatives because it has the app has my zip code. Nice. So I can write that letter. I'm an individual, right? It's not going to have much impact. But because a lot of people are using the app and I volunteer and some of my students have volunteered as content creators for the app. In other words, we write these letters. We're, we're still in some sense scaling up our actions just as if I get more people to reduce their personal lifestyle emissions through eating less meat or reducing food waste. Fantastic. I like that. Climate action now. Okay. I'm going to get that. <laughs> it's downloaded uh, on your phone. It's on my phone. That's how convenient is that? So you had you had mentioned uh, eating less meat, and you know there's the idea of electric vehicles. What there there are plenty of websites and books, like fifty things you can do to reduce your your impact and reduce climate change. What what would you say are for you in your research? What are the most impactful things we can do as individuals? And then we'll talk about scaling it up. Mm -hmm. Well, I use the drawdown.org website. I don't know if you've been to it, but it has a list of, I think, 82 or 84 climate solutions. Mm -hmm. And you can order them according to their potential for drawing down greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Okay. So if you order them, the, the, and this is why I mentioned plant-rich diet and reducing food waste, those almost always, depending on you know how the science is done and the priorities, come up near the top, usually in the top five. So that those are impactful. Um, recycling, I can't even remember if it's on there, but you know, it'd be way down. Sure, even sure. LED light bulbs is quite a bit down, further down than things related to our food system. Then there's of course, there's a lot of actions that 
you can't really take as an individual. So there's one called health and, or I think they changed it now to family planning and education. So the idea is supporting women in particular to be able to choose the family size that they want. So that one is very important, I think, in terms of thinking about climate and also about individual rights, human rights. Uh, but you know, there's not a lot of opportunities for me to maybe go out and do that in my everyday life. I might volunteer for an organization, but I can also donate to organizations. So one that my students have donated to and that I've joined their network to donate to is called um, FOM International. And what they do is they work with women in developing countries who don't have access to menstrual supplies. So if you can't, if you don't have access to menstrual supplies, you often you have to stop going to school and you can't get a job, right? Because you have blood all over your clothes. So kind of a hard, you know, really hard thing for us to think about since it's not something we see in everyday life. But this organization, FOM International, uh, supplies the menstrual supplies to women in developing countries so that they can keep going to school and work. And so that's just an example of an impactful action that we can take through donations rather than through lifestyle, something we do in our everyday life. And then there's lots of others like refrigerant management, you know, uh, forest restoration, of course, all the ones having to do with the renewable energy sector. Um, and again, those may be donations like to an organization working in forest restoration or tree planting, but also actions like writing letters to policymakers, like I mentioned with Climate Action Now. Great, great. This is all great information. So, so these are things that we can do as an individual, but they also connect and, as you said, kind of scale up uh, our activities. You would, in the book, um, you mentioned how we can harness the power of the collective with, with a term that you call network climate action. Tell us more about this. Yeah. Well, earlier I mentioned influencers, right? And so the whole idea is influence, like I'm some person, I'm going to put something on social media and zillions of people will do what I say. Well, there are, are some influencers, but I don't think, no, no, um, I don't mean to insult you or anything, but probably you're not one, Jonathan, and I'm not one, right? I'm not famous. Also, I think when we think about what behaviors are influencing, they might not be difficult behaviors, right? Like changing your diet is kind of hard, but might convince you to go out and buy, you know, some sort of Gucci pocketbook or something like that. So, so consumer activities they're pretty good at. So I started researching this and there's two authors that are particularly important, although they aren't the only ones. One's Damon Santola at the University of Pennsylvania, who has written books about how behaviors spread and the other is here at Cornell, Robert Frank, who's also looked at sort of um, how behavior spread. So one of Frank's more famous examples is solar panels. And they've done work looking at solar panels in different neighborhoods. And if one person puts a panel on the roof, other people are likely to follow, right? So these solar panels, and they occur in kind of clusters in neighborhoods rather than randomly distributed. So this is about influencing people in our neighborhood. Centola is more, not so much the spatial influence that Frank is, of course, Frank talks about other kinds of influence too, like we influence by our smoking behaviors, we influence our friends and our friends' friends. It's another example. But if we think of climate behaviors, the same thing sort of applies. Like if I want um, 
a friend or somebody I know to reduce their meat consumption, then it's going to work better if I'm kind of close to that person. So we maybe have meals together once in a while. And it's also going to work better if my friends are their friends. So in other words, the message is kind of getting communicated multiple times from multiple messengers. It's not just one time from somebody who's really famous going out there to zillions of people. It's what they call these clustered or lattice networks where people are closely connected. That means they're talking to each other or uh, seeing each other relatively frequently. And they're a cluster of people who, again, you know, if I invite my close friends over for a meal and it's a plant-rich diet, then that message that they get might be reinforced by the not just me, but by the other person who came to that dinner. So that's the idea of network climate action is that you think about who are your networks, your close family and friends, and you take action within that network. You, you realize that your influence is most on those you're close to. That makes sense. Yeah, that you're not going to be, you don't have a YouTube channel that you're going to be broadcasting it out, but just having an impact on the, the individuals in your life. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that you brought up in the book, there's this is a quote that you had, it's, evidence suggests that if you want to influence others, it might be better to admit that you are struggling and not doing everything rather than to be perceived as an annoying do-gooder. <laughs> Tell us more about that. Well, that's this idea of moral rebels, right? So, I mean, I'll give you an example. I tried to do my own network climate action and my network was my colleagues in the Department of Natural Resources and the Environment at Cornell. So I first started with this kind of influencer idea. I just tell them and you know, we're all sort of interested in the environment. It's a natural resource environment department. And then they would just sort of do this action which happened to be buying offsets to uh, offset our air travel because we travel for work, right? So, and that of course produces a lot of emissions. So that first part of thinking that I was just going to influence everybody by sending out an email didn't work. And then at some faculty meetings, I got some really bad pushback, like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, this is going to do nothing. Like, you know, how are we going to reduce air travel or whatever? And, you know, I think people thought I was just lecturing to them and, you know, being this sort of goody two shoes and making them feel guilty. And so the whole idea is to be transparent about your own struggles that oh, I've, you know, I'm really trying to reduce my air travel, but my family is super important to me. And, you know, my kids live in Europe. And so I'm going to travel to keep my family together and do things with my children. You know, and you could probably think of other examples of how you can, instead of saying, oh, you, I can't believe you flew down to the Bahamas yesterday. You know, that was like ridiculous waste of resources. Sort of say, you know, that's great. Did you have a good time? You know, did you think about maybe working with the Finger Lakes Climate Fund? I've been working with them because they have this great program where you can pay a little bit of money that is equal to the amount of emissions or reflects, I should say, the amount of emissions that that trip to the Bahamas took. And then that money is donated to low-income people to weatherize their homes. So, you know, and I, I've tried to do this a little bit. It's hard. I don't do it for every travel that I do, but you might want to think about it. It's a super great organization because we can help the low-income people living near us and still enjoy our travel. That's smart. 
I can see that working rather than saying, why didn't you reduce your, your plane travel or anything like that? Basically, yeah, take, making it a personal thing and saying, I struggle with the same issue when I have to travel. But then you had mentioned this, the, is it the Finger Lakes Climate Fund? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great idea. But but then, yeah, leading by example, but not being kind of uh, a goody-goody or, mm-hmm. or like people, then people might feel like shame or guilt about like, oh, right. I not doing the right thing mm-hmm. we're all trying our best but we're not we're all human too mm-hmm. um, speaking of speaking of feeling mentioned this in the beginning and you mentioned it in your book you have this quote from scholar robin kimmerer and it and it really rang true to me but here's the quote despair is paralysis it robs us of agency it blinds us to our own power and the power of the earth environmental despair is a poison so I think a lot of us are feeling environmental despair. We're, we're seeing the headlines. We're experiencing, now again, this could just be a freak winter. We've had like a mild winter. We're seeing environmental degradation around the world. What are your words of advice for people that do see the headlines or feel sad about seeing the, the, the changes that are happening um, on the planet? And what, are, what is your advice to counteract the despair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Let's just imagine that you're a black person and you're living in the South in the US in the 1950s. I mean, you might not have any hope at all that things could change, right? But we know that people came together and they built these networks and they took action and they really changed American society. And I think that importantly, along the way, their lives also gained meaning for themselves and they turned despair into action. So I would say there are two reasons to take action, even if, you know, we may not succeed, right? They didn't know that they would succeed in changing the way America society operates. But, you know, I don't think they would have wanted to lose the fight without trying. And I don't think we want to lose the climate fight without trying. We still might be able to turn this around. Certainly a lot of scientists are saying that we can still turn this around. And we're seeing promising signs of transitions to clean energy, for example. We're seeing the government starting to act over this last year in the US. And we're seeing a lot of innovation around energy and even food systems with alternative proteins. So, um, so that's one reason. You don't want to lose the fight without trying. We may succeed. Second, I think that taking action can make our own lives better. I mean, my students and I, we've really enjoyed cooking plant-based meals for our friends and family. It's a way to connect with family in particular for my students, but also just do fun things with their friends. Um, and even doing fundraisers, you know, for that organization, FOM International that I mentioned, I have students do, do fundraisers. They showed a movie called Period, End of Sentence, which is about this issue of women and menstrual supply. So, you know, and, um, you know, with the C- Climate Action Now app, we can even do, we do action parties where everybody takes actions together. So it can even be fun writing letters to Congress. We often think about climate action as a sacrifice. Oh, you know, they're going to take away your gas car or whatever. But, you know, electric cars, I think, eventually going to be a lot cheaper to operate, right? We don't have to have so many repairs. So, And it can be fun. It can be enjoyable if you do things with people that you enjoy doing things with. And it can also add meaning to your life. So I just had one last bit of advice, and that is that if you want to do something, choose something that really works for you. 
if you have kids at home, you might not have that much time to volunteer, but you could work on say reducing your family's food waste or cooking new recipes with less meat. If you have time to volunteer like I do, but you get bored with one volunteer position, then switch to a new one that's more meaningful for you. So the point is, you're not going to be able to sustain something, doing something different or doing something for the climate if it's not really fitting into your lifestyle and what you're passionate about and what you enjoy doing. But there's plenty of actions I think that each of us can take and can take with family and friends that will really enjoy and that will add meaning to our life and maybe we'll win the fight. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's great advice and great insights. You you had mentioned in the book there, there's a Japanese word, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, ikigai, is that correct? I have no idea how to pronounce okay. it. <laughs> but it, it was a Japanese word for purpose in life or life mm -hmm. worth living. And you said one of the examples would be you know taking care of grandchildren or volunteering or keeping the streets clean and pretty. And you tied that into taking environmental action that... Mm -hmm. That, that just taking action of some sort, whether, as you said, reducing food waste or, or having a more plant-based diet, uh, to volunteering, to, to using the Climate Action Now app, all these little things can help reduce the despair and um, make a life worth living. So, so it's, it sounds like a win-win. By doing things that are positive for the environment, you're also uh, puts you in a more positive uh, emotional space to to carry on. And as you said, hopefully we'll win this fight together. Mm -hmm. So I am so glad that you wrote this book and so glad to be able to talk to you about this. Your new book, In This Together, Connecting with Your Community to Combat the Climate Crisis. Thank you so much, Marianne. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Take care. That was Marianne Krasny, author of In This Together, Connecting with Your Community to Combat the Climate Crisis, now available as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook. The audiobook can be purchased from iTunes, Amazon, and Audible, as well as the Blackstone site downpour.com. If you'd like to purchase Marianne's new book in paperback or an ebook, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on our website, cornellpress.cornell.edu. If you live in the UK, Use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. Mm -hmm.